0: touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we are going to start a two-part series, and we may even go further into this in the future, uh, about PRISM and the NSA and intelligence and intelligence gathering and how that affects Everybody. American citizens, people all around the world. And what is all this, this hubbub about anyway?
0: Right, because there's been quite a great deal of hubbub ever since a, a fellow named Edward Snowden uh,
1: leaked some information to mm-hmm. some to some press like The Guardian and The Washington Post. And Although, uh, uh,
0: to be fair, the hubbub had really been going on for much longer than mm-hmm, that. And, sure. uh, and and this was just kind of one of those big things that everyone has gone. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. For good reasons.
1: But Snowden pushed the snowball. Oh, dear. That became the avalanche. That's that's what happened. But, uh you know, today, what we're going to talk about in this episode is kind of laying the groundwork so that our discussion about the PRISM uh, program and the related programs makes sense. So in order for us to do that, we really wanted to talk more about kind of. The groundwork here, the, knowing the
0: existing uh, U.S. policy, right? Knowing that
1: some people, some of our listeners may not be familiar with U.S. policy. Some of our listeners live in other countries and are therefore not exposed to U.S. law on a regular basis. And even or those...
0: were brought up within the American public school system and weren't exposed to U.S. law either. <laughs> yeah, right. Sorry. That right. Was, I... That's
1: a cheap shot, Vogelbaum. But that's <laughs> a little bit inaccurate one. An <laughs> Uh, but anyway, yeah, it's, it, it, there's, there's a lot of stuff that we need to be able to talk about. And so we were, we're gonna lay down some, uh, some basic truths, people. Come along with us. Uh, so to begin with, one of the things that this really concerns is, uh, one of the specific amendments to the U.S. Constitution.
0: This is one from the Bill of Rights.
1: Yeah, Bill of Rights are the first ten amendments to that Constitution. Now the Constitution, of course, is the document that established that the United States is in fact a sovereign nation and it has its own laws and its own way of governing the people. And the amendments are kind of the, the ways of addressing the Constitution to either expand or, uh, focus parts of U.S. policy so that it has a broad application.
0: And, and in terms of the Bill of Rights, it's specifically to, um, protect the freedoms of the individual citizens of the country.
1: Right. So everyone's heard of the First Amendment is the freedom of speech. That's the one that a lot of people will quote quite a bit. But the one we are specifically concerned with is the Fourth Amendment, which, and I I will quote this, this is the, the actual amendment. The right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated and no warrants shall issue but upon probable cause supported by oath or affirmation and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized.
0: And now this was created in, um, in 1789, ratified in 1791. Mm-hmm. So, The Internet wasn't a thing.
1: No, but this was, you know, you can see what the founding fathers were thinking at the time. They they had already experienced what they were calling tyranny under the British monarchy. Those of us who are Anglophiles and monarchists might sting a little at that phrase. But at any rate, uh, no, it was pretty accurate, really. Uh, What this is essentially saying is that in order for anyone. To be able to search you or anything you own, whether that's property or effects on your person, they have to have authorization to do so. And further, in order to get authorization, they have to have a good reason for it. There can't just be a blanket, yeah, you go out and do whatever you need to do to make sure that that we get the bad guy. This is to protect against that so that people aren't subject to unreasonable searches and so that's what a lot of this fuss is about is, and when I say fuss, I'm not trying to diminish it. I'm right. just using a Absolutely. word because I was brought up in the South and that's, <laughs> that's what happens. But no, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that this is a trivial matter at all. In fact, it's the very opposite. This is fundamental to the freedoms that are, uh, considered to be integral and, to being an American citizen.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I would say that, that, that modernly, internationally speaking, it's, it's a human right. Oh, to, sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. These are rights that, that organizations like the United Nations have said this is, this is a universal this is right. Yeah, right. This is not something that is, is uh, peculiar to a particular government. This should be something that everyone should expect. And in fact, that's another good point just out of the gate is to say the Constitution is protecting American citizens' rights. It does not protect people Foreign who are citizens, not. American citizens. Right. So in other words, uh, and that's that plays a huge part in in the both prism and the related programs that the NSA and other intelligence organizations are following. So that's what the key of all of this is about this, this constitutional amendment. Uh, And we'll get into detail in the second podcast about kind of what is going on and why people are concerned, and the arguments on both sides, because both sides have presented their own arguments on this. Now, another thing we need to kind of define are the different agencies within the United States that are tasked with uh, maintaining law and order, investigating crime, and also gathering intelligence or uh, or. Acting in counterintelligence roles.
0: Uh, right, because although we will be talking mostly about the NSA, uh, which is the um, the program that's responsible for Prism, there are actually 17 governmental bodies that have to do with uh, intelligence, intelligence gathering.
1: Yeah, this is it's it's complicated stuff. So we're going to actually give you a lowdown on all 17 offices and agencies because it's good to know what these different organizations are, and it can be really confusing, right? I mean. There's always that time where I get to something that's like, ah, oh, Central Intelligence Agency. Does that is that domestic or is it foreign? Is it which one is it Federal Federal Bureau of Investigation. That's certainly domestic. But what do you know? And then you start you start going down this this uh, rabbit hole of all these different agencies. It really shows how complex and gargantuan and bureaucratic our government is to the point where you're thinking there's there's probably some streamlining that could happen at some <laughs> point. And also keep in mind that not all of these agencies and offices have traditionally worked together. Some of them are.
0: Have been at odds, very much so. The CIA and the NSA in in particular have not always seen eye to eye. Well, partially because their their duties um, come very close to overlapping in some cases. Yeah,
1: and I think the CIA is tired of the NSA reading their emails. It's really what it comes down to. That's a joke. Uh, It's kind of not, too. But anyway, yeah, the CIA and NSA have actually competed. Uh, there's a, in fact, there's a little aside we can give a little bit later. But let's talk about these basic definitions. So we've got law enforcement. All right. Law enforcement. That's pretty much what it sounds like. These are the agents who are designated to protect uh, citizens, to enforce laws, to apprehend people who are violating laws. So this is essentially your police. So of various levels, whether it's you know st- in the United States, we have lots of different kinds of police. There's a uh,
0: federal, state, county,
1: municipal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's lots of different police, you know, because you can you can violate federal law. You can violate state law. I mean, you can't don't go do that. <laughs> I'm just saying that there are different agencies well, that are in you, charge. Of you may. Enforcing it. <laughs> no, you may not.
0: Well, I mean, it's bad. But...
1: Right. <laughs> we do not condone. <laughs> That goes without saying. We're just, we're both loopy. It has been a very long day of lots of research. Yes. You would be amazed at how much research we have in front of us right now. Uh,
0: but so, but so who, who, who oversees all of these?
1: So the Department of Justice oversees law enforcement and this involves, uh, agencies beyond just the police. We're talking about the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the Drug Enforcement Agency or DEA, uh, the uh, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives, also known as ATF, cause they didn't have explosives in their name for a long time. And the U.S. Marshals Service. All of those fall under the Department of Justice and it's law enforcement. Uh, then you have investigation, which is actually part of law enforcement. It's not like it's completely separate. But investig- you know, law enforcement can be about enforcing laws and apprehending people who are violating the law. Investigators, they are the ones who actually investigate crime to determine who committed the crime and 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 how to apprehend that person
0: or uh, sometimes uh, detectives
1: right right you can have investigators or detectives these are the type of names that you tend to hear
0: mm-hmm. with
1: investigators uh and that can be with agencies like the police with the FBI we also in the United States have private investigators who can get a private license to be uh, uh to to investigate certain things um so that's that's another level then you've got intelligence now, this is different from law enforcement. It's different from investigation. Uh, it involves some investigative work, but Certainly. it's not an investigation role. So intelligence is all about gathering data, getting as much information as possible. Generally speaking, it tends to be focused on foreign entities. So foreign intelligence would be uh, information about other nations, governments, their activities, their their motivations, what, you know, what they are doing and the activities of their agents, both within those foreign nations and abroad. So this is the James Bond stuff, right? This is spy stuff.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then uh, you've got two broad versions of intelligence. You have human intelligence. That's specifically the James Bond type stuff, because this is what you get when you have interpersonal contact, when you have a spy meeting uh, a double agent and they're exchanging information so that the spy can bring the information back home, or uh, it's a spy who has infiltrated an agency or a government uh, office or whatever to gather information. That's human intelligence. That's the CIA's job, that they oversee human intelligence in the United States for foreign intelligence. So CIA focused on the foreign. Uh, intelligence, by the way, can also be domestic. There's of domestic course. intelligence where you've got... Uh, especially with things like Homeland Security, you have within the United States, lots of domestic intelligence uh, uh, officials as well. But we're mainly looking at foreign in the these podcasts. The other broad type of intelligence, you have your human intelligence. The other broad type is signal intelligence. Now, this is messages, communication, right? Mm-hmm. So this is the realm of
0: anything uh, digital or, or yeah. phones or.
1: Yeah, this is this is what the NSA looks at, mm-hmm. right? This is this is their department. So And the, Signals
0: Intelligence, by the way, is sometimes abbreviated um, SIGINT.
1: Yeah, yeah. Which and, I just love. And NSA, by the way, in case we, we're using the, the acronym, it's National Security Agency. Yes, um, I
0: don't think we said that at the top.
1: No, but that's their actual full name. And they are in charge of intercepting and decrypting messages uh, between entities, normally foreign entities or uh, foreign, like a foreign government and its agents. Its agents can be located within the United States, which... Gives Mux rise to- Everything up. Yeah. That's, that's one of the big reasons why this whole mess has become, you know, it's become such a, a, a powder keg, really. Because the potential for agents to be in the United States means that the NSA has to look at the broadest approach to trying to gather information. But that then creeps in on the individual liberties and the, uh, expectation of privacy that American citizens have. That's the crux of this. So the signal intelligence is really what we're looking at, uh though the human intelligence is awesomely cool and we have to do a podcast about spy stuff at some point.
0: Absolutely. We haven't? You guys Uh,
1: No, we never did. Chris never did. You know I tried to convince Chris to do it, but then he would just sort of glance around and say, red roses. And then just run away. And I have no idea what that means to this day. Um he told me that I was supposed to use my captain decoder. Encryption ring. I don't have one of those. Chris is a little messed up. I love you, Mr. Paletta, wherever you are. Um, (laughs) uh, Anyway, then there's counterintelligence. So counterintelligence uh, does not mean that you sit around, you know, watching reality TV and drooling. Saying
0: dumb things about it. Yeah. no. No,
1: counterintelligence is about preventing other entities from gaining information about your Country, government, agency, whatever.
0: Right. This can also be called um, information assurance.
1: Yes, that's the other term for it. So, really, this is all about protecting the information structures within whatever, whether it's, it's a country uh, or whatever. It's
0: it, it's encrypting communications. You know, d- doing the opposite of yeah, yeah <laughs> essentially intelligence.
1: This is this is where you end up hiring what are called white hat hackers, who try to break into a system so that way you can identify any vulnerabilities that right. your system has and address it before real bad guys are able to get into your your systems. Um, so those are your basic terms. Now we've defined that, which leads us to the intelligence community of the United States. And I don't mean to suggest that the intelligence community is a big old band of happy spies who just sit around and chat spy stuff all the time because, uh, like we said, they can sometimes be a little competitive. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, there's quite a few of them, and we're going to go through and mention them. I will go ahead and I'm going to lump in four of them together. Actually, I think five of them together, uh, the military branches of intelligence. So Air Force, Army, Coast Guard, Marines, and Navy all have their own offices of intelligence uh, and they're all similar enough where I feel like I can lump them in together in the yeah, sense that do it, yeah, because that way it cuts down on the other <laughs> like five down, twelve to go. Yeah. Um, but they they essentially all concentrate on gathering intelligence to support wartime efforts. So specifically, when the United States is in some form of actual active war, combat, yeah, combat type of of situation, there's some sort of conflict, even if it hasn't broken out into all-out war. Okay. These offices are gathering the information that gives the United States the best chance to counteract anything that uh, the, the various other parties could be doing. Um, but they also coordinate with other intelligence agencies whenever they gather intelligence that could be uh, key to national security. That's just not their main focus. Their main focus is to support whatever branch of the military they happen to be part of. So, uh, but each one does have its own intelligence agency. Then you've got the Central Intelligence Agency, which we've already kind of alluded to. It gathers information about foreign governments, corporations, and individuals in an effort to provide intelligence that affects national security interests. And they report directly to the well, the the CIA has its own structure, but the CIA reports to the Director of National Intelligence which replaced and the CIA replaced the Office of Strategic Services or the OSS back in 1947. Here's a bit of trivia. Do you know what pop culture character started in the early 80s had a stint in the OSS, but you only get to hear about it in a little bit of a side dialogue in the most recent version of his movies? (laughs) He wears a fedora and carries a whip.
0: Or Indiana Jones?
1: Indiana Jones was part of. Well, he at least worked with the OSS, according to Indiana Jones and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. He has this one little aside where he mentions the OSS, and as soon as I heard that, I thought, "This is the movie I want to see, not the one that I'm currently watching."
0: <laughs> yeah, that I would. I would. If anyone out there is listening, I would watch that movie too. Right. You've so, got an audience of two. Sole.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've done. More for less. All right. So uh, then we've got I'm um, skipping over the other military ones. We've got the Defense Intelligence Agency, which is a central producer and manager of foreign military intelligence. And it's part of the Department of Defense. Uh, there's actually quite a few civilian employees who work for the Defense Intelligence Agency. They're not all military employees. And it includes a clandestine service that conducts spy activities. So in other words – a lot of our spies report to the Defense Intelligence Agency. Um, it was established back in 1961. And the director of the DIA answers to the director of national intelligence, just like the CIA does, and also advises the secretary of defense and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. So important person in the role of United States government. Like I said, the one thing, if you don't take anything else away from this podcast, you will take away the fact that our government in the United States is enormous and complicated
0: and convoluted.
1: Yeah. Uh, then we've got the department of energy, <laughs> which has its own office of intelligence and counterintelligence, which might surprise you to hear that the department of energy has one. Well, but then when you think how important energy is, yeah,
0: yeah, it's a, it's a huge part of our infrastructure. So,
1: yeah. So, you know, you, you remember hearing the news a couple of years ago about how hackers had discovered not just hackers, but people working in cybersecurity had discovered that, uh, Hackers in in foreign countries had accessed certain parts of our power grid and placed essentially little uh surveillance. Just
0: watchdogs. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: To, just to keep an eye on what was going on uh, with the potential maybe down the road at some point to commit sabotage, although there was no evidence of sabotage being committed at that time. Right. The potential there was a big you know that 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 raised some huge alarms.
0: Yeah, uh, and we have we have a whole um wh- one or two part series on um on cybersecurity from yeah. a few months back right. if you uh care to go listen to that.
1: Right, exactly. And so the Department of Energy has its own Office of Intelligence and Counterintelligence. They provide information to the Secretary of Energy, and the expertise for this office includes nuclear energy, radioactive waste, energy security. So these are the the people that you go to when you want to be able to gather information about Uh, not just, not just domestic, but foreign activities as well that could involve, uh, specifically things like nuclear power or even nuclear weapon capability. Uh, the counterintelligence efforts are led by the department's National Nuclear Security Administration, or NNSA. Then we've got the Department of Homeland Security. This is a relatively young department. Uh, really was formed in response to the terrorist attacks on September 11th, 2001. And it's responsible for the protection of the U.S. and its territories from terrorist attacks, as well as to respond to other events like natural disasters. So uh, it's it's supposed to be all about, you know, the, the, it's in the name Homeland Security. It's the supposed to be protecting the United States citizens. Uh, that particular department has been the recipient of lots of criticism from various people who who think that uh, the legislation that created that department may have overstepped some constitutional bounds. And that's still a matter of debate in the United States.
0: Uh, a, a lot of these policies that were formed very quickly after 9-11 um, are going to come back in the conversation. Yeah. Because,
1: yeah. because they, there they, were they, a bunch of
0: them and they were big.
1: Yeah. And, and yes. And rapid change was sometimes uh, sometimes led to concerns after the fact. Like right. it, it, everyone was so concerned about responding to a particular horrible event in the United States history that uh, some would argue that that mistakes were made in that process. Others would argue that it was exactly what was needed. So I don't mean to say that, you know, it's a one sided de- debate. It really isn't. There's a lot of absolutely cogent points being made on both sides. Uh, then you have the Department of State and they have the Bureau of Intelligence and Research. Their primary responsibility is to analyze intelligence data so this was originally part of the OSS, so it was part of what was is now the, the CIA, CIA, but it's its own separate department at this point. So they are all about you know if you they don't necessarily gather intelligence, but they analyze it. So it's one of the departments that really focuses on what does this intelligence actually mean. Then you have the Department of the Treasury. Uh, they have an Office of Terrorism and Financial Intelligence. That's meant to guard the U.S. financial system against threats from rogue nations, terrorists, money launderers, and uh, et cetera. Then you've got the Drug Enforcement Administration, which, as I mentioned before, was part of the Department of Justice. That was established in 1973, and it's a federal law enforcement agency. And its main purpose is to combat drug smuggling. And uh, and uh, within the United States, it also has a responsibility for controlling and pursuing U.S. drug investigations in foreign countries, which is tricky business. Anytime you have a country performing an investigation in another country, you know, you've got – that's sticky.
0: Absolutely. You know, Especially with, with, you know, something as sticky as drug laws, which are so different in so many places. And, sure. Uh, so so economically driven.
1: Yes. Yes. Economically, that plays a huge role in it. Politically, it, it gets really sticky. Uh, it's a, a tough situation. Then you've got your Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI. It's also part of the Department of Justice. Uh that's meant to be a federal criminal investigative body and also an internal intelligence agency and that was established back in 1908. Uh of course uh I would say that the most famous director of the FBI would be J Edgar Hoover, known for uh according to the movie Clue, known for cleaning up multiple murders cuz his name is Hoover. ba dump bump I just saw Clue like a couple of weeks ago, so again, it wasn't my first time. I Seen it many times.
0: I'm glad that you're pulling in puns from other sources now. That's really yeah, uh, I can't, that's really critical.
1: I can't be the sole source of puns. I, I'm only one man. Uh, then we've got the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, which I'm going to be honest, I had never heard of until I did the <laughs> research for this podcast. I did not know this agency existed, um, but they're also known as the NGA. And they're part of the Department of Defense, and they're an agency that plays a role in combat support. So it's kind of similar to the military roles. They're primarily tasked with gathering and analyzing geospatial intelligence to protect national security. And they were formerly known as the National Imagery and Mapping Agency. Then you've got the National Reconnaissance Office, which is a spy organization, and they create spy satellites and provide imagery and signal intelligence to various agencies and military offices in the United States. So this is the agency that's gathering lots of data from electronic communications. But then they end up funneling that data to other agencies. They're not necessarily um, analyzing the information themselves. Uh, And again, they report to the director of national intelligence and the secretary of defense. Then we've got our 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 darling,
0: Our, our buddies, the
1: ones that we'll be talking about quite a bit. We finally got to them. And the only reason it's taken so long is because I've been going in alphabetical order. The National Security Agency, the NSA, centralized agency that produces and manages signals intelligence for the United States, gathers foreign intelligence through various means, including spying. Also in charge of communication security, uh, they are experts in cryptanalysis and cryptography, meaning that codes and crypt- cryptograms, anything that has to do with encoding information, they are experts at both Doing that to protect our information, the United States' information. And
0: also undoing that.
1: Yes, also undoing that to figure out what the heck people are talking about. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they're experts at it. In fact, such experts that, um, there's a famous... The statue? There's a famous statue.
0: Outside the NSA? Right. Yeah, um, that, that has four sides and each side...
1: Is, uh, encrypted in a different, uh, a different way. Crypt, right. All right. So, each cryptogram is, is different and each one, like, if you were to number the sides one through four, one would be the, quote unquote, easiest to decrypt, and four would be the most difficult. Uh, and there was sort of a challenge that was thrown down to both the CIA and an NSA to uh, decrypt these sites. And the CIA decrypted the first three sides within a set number of years. I can't remember exactly what it is. is. I'm, I'm This is anecdotal. I didn't write them down in my notes.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I think this was uh, put up in the 1950s or maybe
1: the 60s <laughs> so, which is I'm like so there was some we're time where a statue was a really was good
0: put up. podcast with facts guys <laughs> yeah.
1: well th- this was this is just sort of an a- aside sure. to everything yes. else which is why we don't have all the data in front of us uh this would be its own kind of fun podcast but at any rate the uh, CIA went to try and crack this they really were taking this to heart and saying this we want to be the ones to crack this information and they started working on it and they were so proud when they announced it and then, uh, fairly recently, it came to light that the NSA had already done it about eight years before the CIA did. Just didn't bother telling them. And you know, there was apparently they the the NSA director so, Ted told people like, if you want to do this, you should do it and totally beat everybody else. But we're not doing it. But if you want to do it, you should totally go and do it. <laughs> but you know, officially we are not doing this. Right. But go and do that thing. <laughs> so, and that's what they did. So it looks like they are really good at decrypting stuff, which that should give anyone pause. I mean, there are a lot of people who advocate that even just as a personal choice day-to-day kind of activity that you encrypt everything. Like you know, There are mm-hmm. people who will not communicate with you if you do not use an email s- service that allows you to encrypt your messages. Um, but the, their decryption abilities show that they're really, really good at breaking those codes. It might take some time, but they... They have shown that they are capable of doing such things.
0: Absolutely. Now, they, they are officially a part of the Department of, of Defense. Yep.
1: Yeah, they report to the Director of National Intelligence as well. Uh, they formed back in 1951. Uh, they were originally a replacement for the Armed Forces Security Agency, or AFSA. Uh,
0: right. They were created specifically by the order of U.S. President at the time, Harry S. Truman, yeah. um, and, and began as a group of only um, 7,600 military and civilian workers. How many
1: uh, are there now? Like
0: over thirty thousand. Wow,
1: that's all. That's pretty big growth.
0: They've um they've been growing a lot actually in the past couple of years. But... Also
1: a trivia question. Yeah. Was the S stand for in Harry S Truman? Nothing. It's just S. That's excellent. Harry S Truman. The S stands for nothing, but Truman stood for a lot. And. <laughs> uh, <Enough. laughs> I have tiny little bits of historical trivia that I never get to use because they never invite me on Stuff You Missed in History class. So I have to save it all up for episodes like this. Um, and then we finally get to the Office of the Director of National Intelligence.
0: Oh, there is one more. Yeah, I missed it. Yeah, okay.
1: the, the NSA is the important one that we'll be talking about for the most part when we get into the actual particulars sure. for PRISM. But this is the office that... We often will say there are 16 agencies in the intelligence community, and this is the 17th office. This is kind of the the head. This is where everything funnels up. So the idea here is that it oversees many other intelligence agents and offices, including the Office of the National Counterintelligence Executive, and its mission is to... Exploit and defeat adversarial intelligence activities directed against American interests. Protect the integrity of the U.S. intelligence system. Provide incisive, actionable intelligence to the decision makers at all levels. Protect vital national assets from adversarial intelligence activities. Neutralize and exploit adversarial intelligence activities targeting the armed forces. And the Director of National Intelligence reports to the President of the United States. So this is the head of the intelligence community, keeping in mind that every single one of these agencies we have mentioned has its own hierarchy, has its own uh, leadership. Director, yeah, sure. yeah. Mm-hmm. And they all have different uh, requirements for what that leader can be. In fact, the NSA's is kind of cool, but we'll talk about that probably in the second podcast. So there we've laid it down. The Constitution, the different types of law enforcement and intelligence, the various members of the intelligence community. But we still have some more of groundwork. Yeah, from lay. from
0: here in, it gets sticky.
1: Yeah, this is where this is where we've that was the easy part, y'all. <laughs> but before we dive into the really tricky part. Let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor, Jackthreads. Jackthreads has quickly become the online shopping destination for guys, and here's why. They have awesome apparel, they have accessories, and they have gadgets from brands like Converse, Penguin, and Busted Tees, and they're all up to 80% off. That's right, everything on the site is up to 80% off. As a listener of Tech Stuff, you can skip the membership wait list and get instant access at www.jackthreads.com slash techstuff when you sign up today. Alright, so we're back. We've laid out that, that groundwork. Let's talk specifically about the NSA for a little bit, because that's really what most of this, this stuff involves.
0: Right. Um, okay, so, so like we said, um, as of today, they, they have about, uh, 30,000 employees. They're working out of Maryland, um, Fort Meade, Maryland specifically. Mm-hmm. And the, the NSA actually works alongside, a, an organization called the Central Security Service, which mm-hmm. is, it's basically the NSA, but it, it's comprised of active military members. Gotcha. Now, the director of both of these organizations is appointed by the secretary of defense and approved by the president. Mm-hmm. And uh, he must be a or he or she. I'm sorry, that was terrible. I'm a bad feminist. Um, it must be a commissioned military officer with at least a three star rank.
1: Right. So um, now that that could be of any of the branches of the military, It doesn't. Well, I always think three-star general, but you could also have an admiral or
0: et cetera. Right. This uh, this leader also heads what's called the U.S. Cyber Command, um, which was created in 2005 and is a uh, network warfare unit that um, protects against terrorist data and network threats.
1: Yeah. So in our cybersecurity podcast where we were talking about some of the uh, reactions to uh, cyber threats in the United States – that's really the organization that is heading that for for a, in large part. There, keep in mind, there are also multiple uh, organizations within other agencies that also investigate and try to prevent cybercrime. But this is one of the big ones right here.
0: Oh, right, uh, especially, or I mean, you know, yes, kind of, kind of during all of that panic that happened a few years back, yeah. um, this this one sort of floated to the top. Yeah. Um. So so the NSA and the CSS like we said earlier work in um information assurance or counterintelligence mm-hmm. and also in signals intelligence right. um or signet.
1: so uh intercepting Sig sigit sigint Sign- sig- sig- signet. <laughs> signet ring i don't know I don't know.
0: Signals intelligence. I Let's asked stick people with at that.
1: the NSA, and they just kind of looked at me, and then they just slowly shook their head and, and then tapped just your walked phone away. Yeah. Um, well, they. <laughs> I have no illusions. They're already doing that. If I wasn't on a list before we started this podcast, I sure am on one now. Anyway, intercepting the messages and decrypting them—you know—that's that's easy to say. Uh, when it gets down to how they actually do that, it gets a little more tricky because you're wondering, all right, well. When I'm sending a message, if I were to send a message from myself to Lauren, then the way that would work, assuming that we were not on the same email server, I mean, that that was kind of a bad example. Let's say I'm sending a message to Chris, who is not on our email server. Anymore, <laughs> and I was just saying, hey, what up? And what's with that red roses comment you used to make and then walk away? The way this works is my message would get broken up into packets. And each packet has a little bit of information in the header and footer that tell essentially computers. Uh, one, where that information is supposed to go, and two, how it fits together with the other packets, so that when all the packets get to their destination, they get put back together and then Chris can read the email, or get the file, or whatever it is that I'm trying to send to him. So, uh, the interesting thing about the internet is it's designed in such a way so that this pathway can be, you know, there are multiple routes that this information could take. And that's a good thing, because if one of the routes ends up being compromised, if something happens like a server goes down, then this information can go a different route to get to Chris. And each packet can even take different routes so that they're not all going in a line down one roadway. They've kind of split up and they're all trying to get to the same destination. So that kind of leads to the question, how does the NSA do this? And that in fact, we'll, we'll go into more about that in the second podcast, but that's another one of those things that has people scratching their heads. Like, not just that you're intercepting and decrypting messages, but how are you actually doing this without getting help from entities like internet service providers? More on that later. Cause it turns out they, they are, right, spoiler alert, they yeah. are getting help from internet <laughs> service providers. Um, not that there's necessarily anything the internet service providers can do about it,
0: but right, but <laughs> but, but, but lots of that probably in the second podcast yeah. that we are going to do. Um, but but let's let's talk a little bit about the um different legislation that has come out that regulates and defines what they can and can't do.
1: Sure. So one of the earliest things we want to talk about is the Wiretap Act of 1968. Now, this regulates the collection of actual content of wire and electronic communications. And it was first passed as Title III of the Omnibus Crime Control and Safe Streets Act of 1968. So we generally refer to it as Title III, although a lot of people will just refer to it as the Wiretap Act. Act. And originally it only covered wire and oral communications. In other words, if you were sending something via... Uh, some sort of like if you're using like a telegraph or if you're using a telephone, mm-hmm. that's what it was covering. But Title I of the Electronic Communication Privacy Act of 1986 extended this protection to electronic communications in general. So it went beyond just uh, verbal communication over the phone to everything from email, instant messaging. All of that was covered under this act. Now, what this act would do is it, it created some broad prohibitions against international interception, use, or disclosure of wire and electronic communications without a statutory exception. So you were supposed to, if you wanted to get access to something, if, if you had identified a target as being either, if, if you're intelligence and you're identifying the target as being uh, of interest because they are a... a for,
0: for some dangerous reason.
1: Right. They're an agent of a foreign government and you need to get information. Or if you've identified them as someone who has committed a crime, then you needed to receive a court order from the Department of Justice. It had to be signed by a U.S. district court or a court of appeals judge, and that would authorize wiretapping for that specific target for up to 30 days. Uh, agents had to meet some pretty tough requirements in order to get this authorization. It wasn't just go up to a judge and say, hey, can you sign this for me? I know you're busy. Just write it down here and I'll I'll, get out (laughs) of your hair. Uh They had to actually uh, show probable cause, meaning that it means different things. Within crime, probable cause means that you have a a valid reason why you suspect that person to be uh, involved in committing a crime. In intelligence, it's that you have a reasonable suspicion that that person is an agent of a foreign government. So it's two separate things. The foreign agent part doesn't have to be involved in any crime whatsoever when it comes to intelligence gathering and yeah, wiretapping. If, if
0: they are merely an agent.
1: Yeah, and in fact, that'll, can apply. that'll come into play more when we get into a little bit later, uh, one of the other acts. In fact, the next act. But, um, I want to make sure. Do you have anything else you want to say about the wiretap before I jump on?
0: Uh, well, um, you know, this, this was enacted in 1968. Um, by mm-hmm. the early 70s, the NSA was tapping, um, foreign cables under the oceans. Uh, as, as you may or may not know, there is a lot of information that is zipping right along. In in uh, in cables that right. are going across the Atlantic. And
1: yeah. it turns out most of those messages say things like uh, darling, it's better down where it's wetter under the sea
0: or are these days are just just videos of people's cats. But yeah. um, but but also it can contain very sensitive international information
1: that too. Um that's another thing that it can contain. And so uh, before, by the way, before the wiretap act was passed there weren't that many prohibitions about tapping phones or anything else at all. I mean, it all depended upon the particular era and the particular area. So uh, I think
0: that part of this was, in. I think that part of the act was in fact, in response to folks like Hoover, who were perhaps overstepping their bounds yeah, in terms of, um,
1: of surveillance right. and, and gathering. Yeah. The FBI had become infamous for gathering huge files on citizens and maintaining them and, uh, and, you know, then you had things like the House of Un- American Activities
0: uh that all kinds of creepy post-war stuff.
1: Yeah, there was a lot of stuff that was going and, on that was yeah. incre- it was definitely creeping up on people's freedoms and in some cases more than creeping up, but just denying people their freedoms. So th- these kind of acts were a response to that, to try and correct right. some wrongs and to prevent it from happening again.
0: So uh, so in 1978, the another big one that that is going to be coming back, especially amendments to it, the um, Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act or um, FISA.
1: Yeah. FISA. 1978. That was uh, introduced by Ted Kennedy.
0: Oh, wow. And it was signed
1: into law
0: by uh, Jimmy Carter.
1: Yeah. So uh, both of them, Democrats, both of them known as being liberal, which might surprise people when they're sitting there thinking about FISA and they've heard these other. Uh, amendments to FISA and how how the NSA is using that to um to gather all this information that has come to light uh but you know you could also argue that when this act was introduced that was not the intent necessarily however it did establish the procedures for surveillance in an effort to collect foreign intelligence between foreign powers and their agents.
0: Oh, right. It, it was hypothetically designed to ensure that the, that the NSA and other federal intelligence agencies couldn't monitor American citizens' electronic communications without obtaining a warrant based on probable cause first.
1: Right. Yeah. This, this was essentially saying that you can only do this kind of crazy spy stuff if you're talking about non people who are not American citizens and people who are not in the United States. It was supposed to cover activity that occurred outside the U.S. Right Now, as we've seen, that's getting trickier and trickier because the way the world works now and the way that the Internet works and and, and our various communication systems work, it's a global entity, and sometimes that involves communications passing through the U.S., sometimes involves passing between people in the U.S., but the pathway may actually go outside the U.S., and so that's caused some blurring of lines as well.
0: Absolutely. Um, this this act also created um, an independent court called the uh, Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, and this was made up of 11 federal judges um, tasked with reviewing these warrant applications that would come in.
1: Yeah, and we will talk more about that court in the next episode because there's a lot to say about how that court is formed, what they do and how much we know about it, which, by the way, that last little bit. I'll go ahead and spoil it. Not a whole lot.
0: <laughs> yeah, the whole thing it's where they're
1: yeah. is is
0: a thing, and and you know we, we are getting some leaked stuff, but right. But when yeah. it
1: comes down to details, we only I mean, we know it exists. We know what it does. We know who is on it and mm-hmm. we know how they got there. That's about it. Though.
0: Right. But a, a quick, quick fun teaser. Um, Supposedly, the court has denied only 11 of the nearly 34,000 warrant applications. It's reviewed between 1979 and 2012.
1: Right. They have said that they don't just rubber stamp uh, uh, approval for these requests. But when you only have 11 denied requests, that causes me to. To
0: suspect rubber stamping,
1: well, or at least wonder what their set of standards is that it can be either either that either their standards are incredibly low, and then they approve pretty much everything, or, or all the
0: warrants are extremely
1: warranted. Right, that's quite possible. That's the other possibility, right? So, I I shouldn't just say as a blanket statement that they approve anything. It may very well be that the the by the time the application gets to them, it's actually a valid application. I don't know because they're secret. But um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so yeah, the FISA requires the government to get search warrants and wiretap orders from a court, even when investigating foreign threats to national security. So it can't just go out and act on its own without court approval. Uh, but that court is, like we said, a secret court, and we'll we'll go into more detail. Also, by the way, if um, if you are served with a wiretap order or a warrant from FISA. It
0: also comes with a gag order saying that you can never discuss the fact that you were served.
1: Yeah, you can't talk about it at all. You can't indicate that it was served to you. You cannot indicate that you whether you gave information that was relevant or not. You you have to just disavow that it even existed. So that's kind of uh, interesting. And then we have... The last of our major uh, points of legislation we wanted to touch on in this podcast, which is the we um,
0: which is the U.S. Patriot Act of uh, 2001. Now, yeah. now of course, uh, to 2001 was um, was when the attacks of September 11th happened. Mm-hmm. Um, the the NSA came under huge fire for failing to catch this plot, right? And um, and uh, they they have said that. They um had intercepted two messages that something major was going to happen on that date, but had no information on um what or where that action would be happening.
1: Right. And you have to keep in mind, again, that traditionally, a lot of these agencies uh, work very much independently of one another. So there's been a lot of criticism that said that if if there was more uh, collaborative, collaborative work, effort. that we would catch more of this, these potential attacks and stop them. And in fact... There, there are plenty of people who have said you don't even realize how many incidents have been prevented because of the changes that have happened, uh, and the reason why you don't know about them is because they never they happened. never
0: happened. Yay, um, yeah.
1: Which is you know that could be that could be a valid argument. It's hard to say because again, you know, we don't they L- didn't happen, so L- we don't know.
0: Right, right, lack of results is hard to uh, confirm.
1: Yeah. It's hard to prove a negative, right? So the U.S. Patriot Act is an is is act of Congress. It was signed into law by President George W. Bush, mm-hmm. and it's meant to detect, prevent and combat terrorism by broadening the powers of intelligence gathering agencies. And it actually reduced quite a few restrictions that were placed on intelligence gathering. Uh, Title V removes obstacles to investigating terrorism. Uh, it expanded FISA counterintelligence access to telephone toll and transactional records, which will come into play in our next episode. Uh, And it requires national security letters. What are national security letters? They're secret subpoenas. They are issued directly by the FBI without the involvement of a court. So the FBI does not have to go to a court judge in order to get a national security uh, letter to, uh, to submit to someone. They can actually demand an entity like an Internet service provider, Uh, that that entity must hand over information about customers as long as the FBI delivers to the entity a document stating that such information is part of an authorized investigation. But there's no court oversight. So really, it just means that the FBI kind of has free reign to to issue these orders. Now, people uh, in the FBI say that there is a very strict process that must be followed and that's not just that, again, it's not like some low-level FBI administrative person can rubber stamp uh, right. one of these letters, but um, but it also has this gag order part to it where you can't talk about it if you get one. Uh, then you've also got the Right to Financial Privacy Act of 1978, which gave the FBI authority to require financial institutions to provide information about their customers or any entity's financial records. And... Um, the Fair Credit Reporting Act, which requires a consumer reporting agency to provide the FBI the names and addresses of all financial institutions at which a customer maintains or has maintained an account. Now that, of course, they have to have the justification to do that. But um, these are all the things that play into to this whole idea of privacy, data security, uh, national security and spying and intelligence and counterintelligence.
0: And now this act received sweeping Bipartisan support in Congress. No one was really willing to argue with it after the events of 9/11, which is understandable. But but also, you know, I I think it I think it did get pushed through a little bit too quickly, um, and yep. a little bit too unanimously. There, um, the, there are
1: quite a few people who have, because because
0: people were understandably upset,
1: right? And there have been a lot of critics who have who have said that the changes, uh, in in the with the Patriot Act, were too great. They gave the government too much power. It took too much away from individual citizens. Uh, and, you know, that, that again, that's a debate that continues to this day. And in fact, the Patriot Act is not something that was meant to exist in perpetuity. It has to be renewed every few years. Right now, so far, Congress, has been. Congress has been renewing it. Yeah. But there are certain uh, titles under the Patriot Act that may not be renewed, uh, according to people who are now responding to the uh, the controversy that has happened since the, the information was leaked to the public about right. the NSA's activities. And in fact, one interesting thing that we should point out, and we will talk about it more in the next podcast, is that one of the architects for the Patriot Act has gone on record as saying, this goes too far. So if the person who authored the act that gave the government broad uh, uh, release of restrictions says, hey, that's going too far, it's time to at least have a conversation about it, if not, you know make some really tough decisions. But we're gonna save that for our next episode.
0: Right. I think that we've uh, set the stage for everything that um that has happened in the past uh ten, ten, eleven years. Yeah,
1: and you and we understand this episode is not really tech heavy, obviously. This is more like government stuff than tech stuff, but it really but to the, have a, a conversation about the tech stuff, you have to understand all of this other stuff that's going on.
0: Right. So, and, and also, I mean, you know, these, these are all issues that, that affect all of us and all of our, our internet usage and communications sure. and privacy every day. So. Yep.
1: Yep. It's important. So, uh, alright. So we're going to wrap this one up and we're going <laughs> to, Lauren and I are going to take a quick break and take some time to drink some tea and then we're going to dive into the next episode, which you guys get to hear in a couple of days, unless you just save these all up at once, in which case, enjoy. So if you guys have any suggestions for topics we should tackle in future episodes of Tech Stuff, I've got a great suggestion for you. What is it, Jonathan? Let us know, because we can't read your mind or your email. We're not the NSA. Yes. Send us a message. Uh, encrypted, if you like. <laughs> Send us a message. Our email is at discovery.com or drop us a line on Twitter or Facebook. I warn you, if you do use code, we may never know what you said. But you can find us with the handle techstuffhsw. And Lauren and I will talk to you again really soon.
0: Red For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.